Today's episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. You know, having a high sports IQ, it's important. Bill Belichick, nobody has a higher sports IQ. He's so locked in. He didn't even know Andrew Luck retired <laughs> for like 24 hours. Hey, when it comes to hiring, you don't need a high hiring IQ. You just need ZipRecruiter. So effective. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. My listeners can try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. We're also brought to you by the Rewatchables, where we have a new podcast, Do the Right Thing. Sean Fantasy, Wesley Morris. I'm not on this one. 30th anniversary of that movie. And by the way, the Rewatchables 1999 is coming back on Luminary next week as well. So heads up on that. Speaking of the ringer.com, we launched the Fantasy Football Hall of Fame today. That was cool. Um, I'm going to talk about that for a tiny bit at the top after we get to Pearl Jam. Coming up, Kyle Brandt from uh, Good Morning Football. We're going to talk about uh, the ripples from the from the uh, luck retirement. And then, just incredible, the queen. If America had a queen, I feel like she would be the queen. Julie Louis-Dreyfus. She's here. Bucket list guest. That's all coming up. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. All right, bring it on, Kyle, in one second. Wanted to talk about this fantasy football Hall of Fame thing we did quickly. I have been doing fantasy football. This is going to be my 30th year. I think I started in 1990. I was trying to figure it out. So I've been 30 years of fantasy football, and as we were putting this whole thing together, um, I think the tendency is to gravitate toward late 90s on. You know, that's uh, Terrell Davis. That was really when fantasy became more and more mainstream. Um. Jerry Rice was, in my opinion, the first, the first great fantasy guy. That was like one of those. If he was just on your team, it was so delightful and and so wonderful. And he would just have these hundred and sixty yard three TD games. You're like, wow, I love fantasy football. This guy has made it more fun. There's been some great ones over the years. I wrote a piece for Grantland in 2012 after Ladanian Tomlinson retired making the case like he never won a Super Bowl, but his legacy was that, you know, he was the most influential fantasy guy ever because by the time he came into the league in the 2000s and kind of rose to prominence, at that point, everybody was playing fantasy. And his 2006 season, I wrote about this in the piece. I was with the uh, Hersheimer brothers once and we were talking about fantasy or Tomlinson or something. And they had had Tomlinson in 2006 and started talking about it. Like it was like one of their sons who, you know, had winning the high school championship or something. I think that's when I realized fantasy had, uh, had really gone to another level where you actually have memories of it. Like they're real teams. It that was really not the case. The first few years. I remember, I think I've talked about this before, but the first league I was in, my high school buddies um, who then went to Colgate and they had a league in Colgate and then I ended up joining. And my friend Camp was the commissioner and he would he would uh, calculate the stats on Monday mornings with the USA Today and then 
add the Monday night games, and then he would mail them to us. Kyle, can you believe this? No, I'd be out. I just it sounds too much. I would just I wouldn't be doing so that. We would have no idea if we won until, until like Wednesday. the mail came. So like on on Wednesday, Thursday, I'd be checking the mail like, oh, I can't wait to see if I won. Sounds and stressful. then you would get it and camp would have these handwritten updates or, or I'm sorry, uh, typed updates with handwritten scores in it and a million misspellings. So our favorite one was Irving Fryer was, uh, was a big fantasy guy back then and Camp, for some reason, had his name Inving Fryer for like three straight weeks. So we just started calling him Inving. And this was just kind of how it went. And I don't even think we could change teams during the season. And then once we started having player moves, it started to get dicey because then you would have to call in the player moves. And I bring this up because it's crazy that this happened like within the last hundred years that we had fantasy that didn't have the internet uh, where you had to call your friend to put in waiver wire stuff, where if you did a trade, the, the, that was really the only way to change your team in a productive way. And then, you know, over the last 20 years, it changed. But I remember when I had my old website before I went to ESPN, writing about my fantasy draft, I think in 97 or 98. And I think I did a running diary of just the whole day and, you know, just male bonding personified and people still sick from the night before throwing up there in the draft and all that stuff. And I remember handing that in and being like, or posting it and just being like, I, I have no idea if anyone's even going to get this, but I just feel like there's got to be other people that have leagues. Cause we didn't really know. And then when I went to ESPN in 2001 and I was trying to craft what my, uh, my column was going to be, one of the things I really cared about was the fantasy football thing. They didn't have any fantasy football at that point. They might have, I don't, they might have had maybe rankings from somebody. I don't even think they had that. And I did a piece in 2001. I did, I think it was 30 ways to insult your friends at a fantasy draft. That was one of them. I did a fantasy football manifesto. Um, I did a running diary of my fantasy draft. And every time I told my editors I was doing that, they were, uh, they were like, wait, you're going to write about your fantasy league? What? That's that's going to be the column you turn in? And I was like, I'm telling you, people care. Um, and the thing is, people did care, but it was like we didn't know anybody else cared. It was one of those things where you thought people cared. You knew it was a thing. There were magazines out, but it also seemed inconceivable where we would end up, you know, six, seven years later, where all of a sudden Matthew Barry becomes the Mel Kuyper of fantasy. And, and, uh, and all of a sudden you could see it. And by by about 06, you could see it, which is why I think that Tomlinson season was so crucial to this whole thing because that was really when everybody was in on fantasy and it was not like Dungeons and Dragons and all that stuff. And it had become its own thing. My favorite season, the 07 team, I think I wrote a column about, yeah, I did write a column about this too, about whether it was harder to go undefeated in the NFL or with your fantasy team. And at the time I had an undefeated Patriots team and I had an undefeated fantasy team. It was the greatest team I ever picked. I had uh, young Adrian Peterson and I had Tomlinson and I had Wes Welker and it was just like a murderer's row. And I really thought I had a chance to go undefeated and I didn't. And I actually think it's harder to go undefeated in fantasy because of the bye weeks and stuff. But um, I remember writing about that and everybody was just, 
<laughs> really passionate about both ways. Like, no fucking way. It's so much harder to go undefeated in NFL. You're fucking crazy. Uh, it's just hilarious. And now we're at the end of this decade. So this is now three full decades of fantasy that we have. And probably at least the last two mainstream, where it became relatively mainstream. Um, and it seemed like a good time to do this Hall of Fame. And my favorite ones, my favorite fantasy guys of all time, in no particular order, Tomlinson, Moss, Gronk, Rice, maybe Marshall Falk. At that, my Mount Rushmore would probably be those four, and then Marshall Falk, um, like always, coming up just short. Uh, just a little joke for the three St. Louis Rams fans left. All right, let's uh, let's bring in Kyle. All right, on the line, Kyle Brandt from Good Morning Football. Um, I'm I'm so excited for this because I got an email from a PR person at NFL Network pitching Peter Schrager for my podcast. So I was like, I got to get Kyle Brandt. This is this is now this will now be even better because we've been talking about doing one anyway. So welcome back to the pod. Hey, I'm thrilled to be here for the Kumite Bill as always. Um, Andrew Luck, biggest story since you've started your show. Good morning, football. Well, yeah. I mean, it's the biggest surprise for sure. You got to understand, we started in the summer of 2016, so we were birthed directly into Kaepernick taking a knee, which is a great way to start a fun morning show. Um, So that's big, but Luck's certainly like the biggest gut punch, especially on a Saturday night, dude. Was there any rumors, anything in the football community, or did this just blindside everybody? It's funny you say that because Schrager's the guy who, like, he's, he's got it. He's tapped in. He's a hashtag insider. Like, he knows all that stuff. Yeah. And he was floored. I texted him when it happened. I was like, dude, luck! Exclamation point. And he's like, what? What the hell are you talking about? He was on he was on a call, like, on the Jets game. And he's like, that has to be a hack. Like, he didn't believe it. And I didn't either. So, like, nobody, nobody knew. Are you buying the whole don't actually count out the Colts, Jacoby Brissett, they have a Super Bowl oh, contender man. around him anyway, or is this the most <laughs> pathetic narrative of all time? It's so funny. We were, we were debating that this morning. It's all, We're already into it, Bill. Like We're already comparing this Colts team to the 99 Rams, to <laughs> the 2017 Eagles. Like We had this impassioned thing this morning on the radio, on, the, on TV about like, go with your heart or your head. You know, Kurt Warner came in for Trent Green, and I'm like, dude, Kurt Warner like had like five Hall of Famers on that team. It, right. it was this most amazing loaded roster. Like with respect to like Naheem Hines and Marlon Mack, like I don't know if they have the horses. Just like you know the Eagles team that when Carson Wentz got hurt was a really really good roster. So everyone's like, yeah, Jacoby Brissett, he's going to be incredible. I'm like, I kind of remember him being like sort of not that great. Right. Yeah, like a little frisky, fun when he's down twenty. In, yeah. in like with 18 minutes to go, he can kind of make stuff happen. I, uh, but it's also Bill, like the, the Frank Reich factor is, is like, is really Hollywood. Like this guy, anytime he ever, ever is exposed to like a big opportunity, it's always like, shit, like I'm down 30 points again. Like his whole right. career <laughs> in college and then the greatest comeback ever. And then he's the Eagles coordinator and they're just marching to the playoffs. He loses wins. We got to roll behind folds. And then, 
he gets the Colts job, and then he, only because McDaniels lost it. And now finally, he's like, oh, this team is so good. We're turnkey. We got luck. We're going to go. And it's, of course, two weeks before this season, true Frank Reich brand, the quarterback just retires, unprecedented. It's like his whole life he's been down 20 points and starting 1-5. and five. So if there's ever a guy who could, like, pull it out to pull out the miracle, I guess it's him. There is an incredible amount of Ewing theory potential. And I, I yeah. mentioned this on my Sunday pod. And I've been looking at it for the past 48 hours and reading all the luck stuff. And I do think luck was one of those guys. He was, you know, he was a prodigy, comes in, everybody assumes he's next Peyton Manning. He was a great fantasy guy when he was healthy. Yep. The results weren't totally there. He was, he, especially the first couple of years where he took a couple pretty lousy Colts teams to the playoffs and stuff like that, but he never had that one great season. The 0 6 against the Patriots is like, that's a real stat. That's the team you have to beat in the AFC. Never beat them. So I do feel like there is some Ewing theory. I just don't know if Jacoby Brissett is nearly good enough to be the Ewing theory shepherd for this. You got, and you need a shepherd. You got to have that shepherd. big hook. And if they, if the Colts do win it, then like, I look at someone like Deshaun Watson, I'm like, all right, well, you're not a star. Like Deshaun, this is the, 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 the white unicorn of quarterbacks just retired. Like this is on a platter for you now. Yeah. Nick Foles, eh, Marcus Mariota. And it's like, the, you, you have to win it. If you're Deshaun Watson or like, you're not ready to be a superstar. Who are the, who let's go through the biggest winners. Now that we've had a couple of days to digest this luck thing, the biggest winners of Lux retirement. I think number one has to be Deshaun Watson where that division is now just belongs to him for the next eight to 10 years. If he, if, if he wants it, I don't even know who's, yeah, I mean, you should take the thing over now. This is done. I I, I would also say though, like, I think that over the weekend was when he retired was one of the greatest days in Tennessee Titans history. Like that, that is a great red letter day for them (laughs) because it's like, if you look at Titans moments in history, it's like the music city miracle and all the Steve McNair, Eddie George. And then the day that Andrew Luck retired because we played him every year and we were 0 and 11 against him. It was like, they were so dominated. I I almost feel like they almost started to like it from him. It was like, it was getting weird and like they're safe (laughs) his retirement and they just got it so he's gone (laughs) i mean they loved it or something they were like uh giamatti and billions like they they, they were on the floor with clamps playing the colts every single time with andrew luck and you just beat them and they loved it yeah that is luck's legacy he goes zero and six against the pats and 11 and 0 against the titans that means something legacy though yeah i don't that's gotta mean something uh another winner the patriots and i talked about this on sunday but tom brady outlasting 30 years of Colts QBs that we thought we were going to have on paper. We thought it was going to be Manning to luck through 2028. Now Brady's the last one standing. He beat luck like a drum this whole decade. And now it's like a, now I guess Mahomes is the next guy who he just beat uh, in January. And now that's the next target as Tom Brady continues to be eternal and, and plans to play until his sixties. And isn't it so perfect too that like the next guy that's following him is this following Andrew Luck is this Jacoby Brissett like that Belichick knows and had in right. and will know him inside and out and pick him out of his teeth. I do think though that like the Andrew Luck news has made me appreciate Brady even more 
Like the whole, like, I just lost my love for it. And I, I'm wealthy and I want to do other things. And I have this cool wife. And like, it just makes me look at Brady and he's just, he's just such a fiend, like such a fiend. And football, football is such a pain in the ass. Like anybody yeah. who even played high school or college, like even if your team is good and you're winning, like there's always this huge wave of relief. Like, God damn, the season's finally over. I'm so happy. Like, Tom Brady just doesn't have that. It's he's he's a fiend for it. And it's like he reminds me kind of of the way people talk about Tom Cruise, like on sets. That yeah. He just lives for it. And like he just wants to keep doing these wild Mission Impossible movies. And they're like, Tom, can't you just downshift and like do like a thoughtful Western? So he's like, Nah, I want to be hanging off a plane. Like they're the same guy in a way. That's that's what I'm also like. I'm just like pod, more podcasts, like. rewatchables. Let's do another one. We're doing. Yeah. I, we're taping eyes wide shut tomorrow. Oh, you are? Shit. Yeah, it's I don't know. Nightingale, man, I love it. Yeah, it's that. You it know is... that I've been binging the rewatchables. Like people are, everyone's watching Succession. I, I didn't find the rewatchables until recently, so yeah. I hit off like three a week, and I'm, I'm obsessed, man. So, what's the number one so far for you? I mean, it's, it's a loaded, loaded category. Um, the Fugitive one is fantastic. Wow, really, now, really good. Um, that answer. I'm a huge Dr. Charles Nichols guy. Love yeah. that. Um, one of those movie lines that I say with my friends, like if they interrupt you, I'll be like, uh, Richard, I'm in the middle of the speech. And like, I just love <laughs> Charles Nichols. Um, True Romance is fantastic. The Drexel scene breakdown alone is, is riveting. Um, I have a real soft side for the Bloodsport uh, uh, rewatchables because yeah. I'm just a big Bloodsport guy. But I would say this. It, it, it's down to two, Bill. If anyone has not listened to it, like, the Top Gun rewatchables is in like an hour, 47 minutes. It's almost longer than the movie. Mallory Rubin, Rubin in particular is great in it. And I was like, I think I've heard everything that's said about Top Gun and the volleyball and all the lines. And then there's like a 15 plus minute breakdown of the very small scene when Mav goes to Charlie's house to ask to take a shower. <laughs> that is outrageous. It is so good. Thank and you. your takes on her are so different. And you start thinking like, Really, asking to use the shower might be the boldest move that Pete Mitchell makes in the entire movie. Right. And, like, this is a guy who was in a 4G inverted dive with the MiG-28 at a range of about two meters, actually about one and a half. But saying to an older woman you barely know, like, can I use your shower, is insane. I mean, she's like, no, yeah, my, my razor's in there. No, no, yeah, get the hell out of here. And you guys go so deep on that, it was killing me. Yeah, there's a lot of cocaine in the 80s. So that's, much cocaine. That's a lesson. And, yeah. But honestly, dude, I can't I can't give the number one spot to anything but he the heat rewatchables. Chris Ryan is just absolutely unconscious in it. And at one point you decide to kind of break from the format and you kind of just do like Vincent Hanna karaoke. You just start <laughs> ripping off lines and pushing away from the mic. And I'm on the bike exercising and doing them with you and I'm doing my Vincent Hanna. And it's, I think that really is the standard, the rewatchables of heat. It's so good. Well, we had, we didn't, I don't think we had all the categories in place yet. So we're going to do so it. It was so new. Yeah, we're going to do, for the 100th episode, we're going to redo the Heat one and make it two and a half hours because Chris is at the point with Heat now where if there's any chance to do a Wayne Grow, I got to get it on, man. Like, he's just going to do it. He doesn't care. It could be a business meeting. He could be with sponsors. He could be with, like, you know, his pastor, and he's just going to break into Wayne Grow. Like, Wayne Grow, that's the iconic moment. Wait, um, I have to do one more winner for Andrew Luck. 
All right. What do you got? The 20 somethings really, really, uh, really enjoyed that he stepped yeah. away. This, this, this is great. This, uh, this did feel a little generational to some degree. Mm-hmm. Like that he, that Andrew Luck took control of his own destiny. He has his body intact. He's going to move on. He's going to do other things. And meanwhile, he really did screw the Colts over. Like he left the Colts 12 days before the season. And, you know, I, I talked about this on Sunday and I, and I keep thinking about this. I've just, we're, we're at this really weird post sports fan point of sports right now where mm-hmm. we are so player friendly with how we think about everything. I just can't imagine how this would have been handled 30 years ago. If he did this, I think people have be been villainized. Yeah. And, and, and now the, we're just the, at a different thing. And now I think people are even afraid to say publicly, like, oh, yeah, he fucked the Colts. Like no, that. you can't do that. Like, you'll get absolutely destroyed if you do that. And I, it's funny you, you say about the young athlete. Like, there was a, there a little, like, a little postscript on it that I thought really spoke to that. I think it was Ian Rappaport tweeted that Andrew Luck's plan is that he, he's going to leave and travel the world. And I'm like, is that not like the most 25-ish type thing to say that we're right. going to backpack? And like, that's my plan. Because as an older guy, like I'm 40 and I'm like, Andrew, that's not a next chapter. That's like a month. And you're going to get really annoyed and your wife and you are going to start fighting. You just want to come home. Like that, that's not the solution. <laughs> that to me make me think like, well, if that's his plan, then he's coming back next year. Yeah. You know, I felt the same way with Gronk too. Like I wanted Gronk to retire. I love Gronk. Gronk, okay. Gronk is like a top three favorite Patriot of all time for me. And one of my favorite Boston athletes ever. And that dude just took an insane amount of punishment. He did everything we ever could have asked for, for him. And by the end of it, I was like, man, good for him. He's getting out. I felt the same way. I think a lot of people feel about the luck thing. And I, I think that's, what's changed the most about football this century specifically is the way we think about these guys kind of just, Oh man, it's great that they got out. Like it's almost yeah. like they're like in in Vietnam or Korea or something in the fifties or sixties, where we just want them to get out intact. I didn't. You go back to the early two thousands. You know, even like uh, the Madden. You remember they used to do those Madden trailers for the upcoming Madden season, and it would just be guys getting absolutely annihilated, like wide receivers yeah, getting crushed over the middle and. You know, and violence was such a big part of it. We just loved it. And then over the last 10 yeah. years, it just changed. And now... we It's like we wanted Eddie George, like, give him another 600 carries. Just keep running him. And now right. I do, it's just like, we want, like, Willem Dafoe to get to the chopper and escape, <laughs> like, in one piece. And it's true. I, I, do, I feel the same way about Gronk. Like, I, I probably since you're such a Pats fan, too, like, you don't want to see, like, 60% Gronk. Um, no. It's hard. Like I, like, I grew up in the Chicago suburbs in the 90s. I grew up Jordan, and still one of the images that I can't get out of my head is Jordan on the Wizards getting his jump shot blocked by Paul Pierce, like, noted leap Paul Pierce, like that scarred me a lot and I can't unsee it. I don't want to see that with Gronk and I'm glad he's gone. I don't want him to come back. This is how I feel about Johnny Bananas on the challenge now. Okay. It's, it's so many, so many titles, such a legacy. Really it's him and Jordan, I think as the two biggest winners that we've sure. had the last 50 years and uh, just walk away. It's time. You don't need this anymore. Bananas. Yeah. Walk away at the top. Everyone's gunning don't you for feel you. Like a little robbed. Like if you would do that, like the, 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 I don't want to see him leave anything on the field either. Like at, for the Andrew Luck thing, 
I know people, no one wants to come out and say he shouldn't have done this, but I'm always here for the second act. Like, I feel like Luck not playing into his 30s. Like, imagine if we had never seen Patriots era Randy Moss. Like, he just right. he never did it. He hung up the game. Or, like, we only, only Shaq we ever knew was on the Magic. Or Dave Grohl never gets to the Foo Fighters. Like, that's, we never saw Andrew Luck's talent into his 30s. And, like, there could have been miracles, Super Bowls, MVPs. We'll never know. Well, it also... I don't know if quarterbacks take even 25% of the punishment they took 15 years ago. It's, oh my it's, God, I know. it's such a dramatic um, kind of evisceration of the Ryan Grigson era that in this day and age, a quarterback could take that much punishment that physically they wouldn't want to play anymore even before they turn 30. Like it's pretty, you look at the way Brady plays quarterback and you know, during the regular season, at least he's just not, he's refusing to take punishment. You know, no, in the playoffs, take that take huge hit. no, he's just got, he'd rather dump the ball and start another down over, take the blindside hit or hold the ball that extra split second. And the fact that luck couldn't even get to that stage, you know, where he figured that out. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'll be really interested to see where we go with football this next decade with career longevity. Cause we, mm-hmm. it might be Brady Rogers. And Breeze might be the last three that really want to be playing football that long. We might have other guys just be like, yeah, I'm 32. I'm getting out. My friend Sully, um, his son was a state champ in football in high school for Situate mm-hmm. and didn't want to play in college. He was like, I'm out. I got, I, I, I won a title. I got out intact and he's playing basketball in college at Suffolk instead. And it's a smart move. Why do, why would you want to play football in college if you could play basketball? I know, like I have, I'm the, I'm the classic guy who's got the kid who's got a five-year-old son and people ask me all the time, is he going to play football? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I hope he's a professional golfer or just any, I don't want him to play football, but like the reason you play football though is because it's fucking awesome when it's good. Like it's, it's, it's better. Like it's, it's better to score a touchdown than hit a three-pointer. Like that's what's always the drug that will keep them coming back. It's so awesome to play. I think my son's going to end up playing in high school. You do? Yeah. You all I- right with it? I have complicated feelings on it. I have one of those kids that he's just gonna, he's likes bouncing off other kids. You know, there's just certain kids that are wired that way. And And you tell early if he's not going to do that, then he's going to play lacrosse or he's going to play some sport where you're bouncing off other kids. And it's like, all right, is is lacrosse like a hundred times safer than football is like, no, um, I do think we're playing football more safely, but I don't think it's safe, but you know, my daughter's been playing soccer for 11 years. Are headers safe? No. Um, I think, I think all these sports have, have scary things about them. Basketball is probably, probably among the safest, even baseball. Like you can get hit by a pitch you can line drive back to the box. There's stuff going on. Um, I think football has become safer. I will say that they have accomplished that. I still don't think it's safe, but Compared to where we were 15 years ago, Jesus, I'll never forget that that Ravens Steelers game, whatever that playoff mm-hmm. game was, when McGahey was out for like 10 minutes. Oh, we got knocked out. Yeah, but like three guys got knocked out in that game. It was nuts. Um, but hey, you before- know what's crazy about that? I remember in that game at Heinz Field, they played down on the corner, like when he was down, and people interpreted that that they played it because Willis McGahey was out, and they were like firing up their fans. Like they played that song by, by like CCR and oh I'm like, God. shit, you're playing that cause he's out. And like, that was kind of like a cool, badass thing to do back then. Right. Um, give me three predictions for the season. Um, all right. 
the Kansas City Chiefs, dude. I'm in. I'm 100 percent in. Um, my only reservation I have for it is is Andy Reid, but they're my Super Bowl pick. I mean, I, I think the Chiefs are going to win it. And are you laughing? That's your only reservation. <laughs> the coach that has yeah. not come through every year of his career. <laughs> but at some point, you got to do it, right? I mean, we've seen sure. it before. Okay. I think that in that second half of the AFC title game. I feel like like Mahomes figured him out. It's like I got this shit. It's no problem. I just needed to adjust at halftime. I he he completely lit him up. The same defense that like shut down McVeigh and Goff and all that that great Patriots defense. Like Mahomes was absolutely unconscious in the second half and he had it. And they got better this year. And I, I think the Chiefs are going to win. I'm into the Chiefs. Okay. Second prediction. Uh, second prediction. We're in like a crazy era with defense. This this Aaron Donald thing. Yeah, like I feel like this is one of these great errors. We're going to say back in that decade. Remember when Aaron Donald just shut it down, and he was by far the best player in the league at any position. He's going to win Defensive Player of the Year again, and I actually think he's going to take a run at the sack title too. Aaron Donald is so 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 good, and I wish he was playing back to other conversation back in the '80s because if he could hit, you know, whoever it is, Jim Harbaugh or Montana or anything, right. it would be such so beautiful. But he can't do it. So Aaron um, Donald for the sack title, you like those odds? It's a deep odd, but I like it. He's, he's okay. off the board for he's off the board for defensive player of the year. As good as Khalil Mack is, as good as him, other guys like Aaron Donald plays an interior lineman, and they still can't do anything with him. He's that good. But yes, yeah. I do. All right, third um, prediction: the Antonio Brown thing doesn't work at all. It's so, uh, it's, it's it falls apart. I was looking at the over under for him in Vegas, and it was like what I got. It was like over 1,200 yards, and it was like 100.5 catches. And I was like, I rarely do unders because it's not fun to just root sure. against other human beings. But in that case, I'm like, I, I, I feel like this could be one of the disasters of this decade. Like he's, I know. It's going to be fantastic. He's off, his, like I, off his rocker. Is he, is he Tyson zone? Oh, yeah. He's yeah, a 1,000% I mean, Tyson right. zone. and. If you say you're going to retire because of your helmet and you have a $30 million deal, and I, I listen to those odds and I'm like, God, they really think Derek Carr is good. Like, I'm not even sure. I, I don't know that he's not, but I, I have really have no idea if Derek Carr is good at all. And if he's not, like, it's going to it's going to go really bad really fast because Ben Brotsberger might be a pain in the ass, but, like, playing at Pittsburgh, you're always good. You always contend. You always get the ball, and they still couldn't make it work. And now he's going to go to Oakland, and then they're going to move to Las Vegas next year? Come on. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the Carr thing because we've seen this with the diva receivers you saw with Moss and like 06 and some of the TO seasons when when the quarterback they just feel like the quarterback is beneath them it yeah. goes horribly and I think there's a real chance that Carr that Brown will feel that way by like week three they're like oh man this guy yeah. sucks why didn't we may see tell that me? this year and we also may see a quarterback who thinks the head coach is beneath them with Aaron Rodgers like that's a great one to watch I mean, that, that thing is bizarre. I, I look at LeFleur with the Packers, and I'm reminded greatly of Eric Spolstra, like, coaching LeBron. And, like, dude, you better be up to my level. I don't suffer fools. I'm the most talented guy in the world. Like, this is your this is your gig? Fine, go ahead. But you better be great. You better keep up with me. I see that going cool, too. Yeah, to bring it to your real, real world, real world, I can't speak, real world roots. Real world roots. Um, Rogers is the roommate that everybody gets annoyed by within a month. And mm -hmm. then somebody starts drunk screaming at him at three in the morning. And then there's a, there's a meeting the next day to smooth the air. But then three people start screaming that they think he's better than them. That's yeah. kind of Rogers the last, I would say six years. 
And the move is, and this is autobiographical, the move is if you really want to control the narrative, as they would say, is have the fight, but then go into the confessional camera and pour out your heart to the confessional camera. Give them lots of great sound bites that aren't in front of the roommates. Yeah. That's how you control that thing. And that's, that's a classic Rogers move. Classic Rogers. Right. You get the camera time. You don't give the roommates the satisfaction of admitting that they were right and you win both ways. That's exactly. Rogers. That's, that's how you do it. All right. That was a great ending. Uh, good luck with the show this year. It's really good. Say hi to everybody from me, even Schrager. I will. I will tell him. And Bill, like Mav, tells Charlie on his way out. <laughs> I enjoyed being here. Uh, talk to you soon. Later, man. All right. We're going to bring in Julian one second. First, CBS Sports HQ. As I've talked about on this podcast before, sports television changing, not always for the better. Lots of yelling, beating topics in the ground, hot takes that I'm not sure the hosts even believe. Well, CBS Sports HQ is looking to change that with coverage always focused on the game. All the highlights, news, stats, game previews, game reactions, fantasy advice, and gambling picks. That's right, you degenerate gamblers. This is made for you. And it's all without the yelling and fake debates. Just sports for real sports fans. Live 24-7. Turn it on, leave it on. Best of all, completely free. Not free for a week. Not free for a month. Not free if you just have some sort of special TV package. It is seriously free for everyone. You don't even need to log in, open the CBS Sports app, watch anytime from anywhere on your phone, at home, on your Apple TV, Roku, Fire TV. Could not be easier. Download the CBS Sports app and watch CBS Sports HQ today. And uh, since we're here really quickly, don't forget about the Ringer NFL show. If you're looking for fantasy or gambling stuff, don't forget about Against the Odds with Cousin Sal. I'm going to be on there this week as part two of our over-unders pod. And don't forget about Rosillo's podcast, which we are relaunching in September and he's going to be doing three weeks. So you want to be ready for that as well. All right, here she is, the queen. Well, cross another one off the bucket list. Julia Louis-Dreyfus. <laughs> um, this is great. I'm really excited for this. I am too. You brought your son, one of your sons. I brought my son, Henry, huge fan of yours. Oh, that's nice to hear. Yeah. Um, I was asking you before we started about parenting, how they leave, yeah. but then you get them back. If you're you've lucky, gotten, you've they gotten come both back. of them back. I got them both back. Here's a key. Make sure you have really nice sheets and a really comfortable bed. That's it? That's what wins them over? Food it, in the fridge doesn't even matter? Sure. That goes without saying. But people people undermine the value of a, a very comfortable bed. She, so expensive... Clean sheets, hyper soft big. sheets. Yeah, and they don't have to be super expensive, but just get a good thread count. <laughs> what about pillow? You go extra on pillows, or not really? Totally. Okay. The whole deal. That's good. So mm -hmm. they're back. Was it sad when they were gone? I mean, it's it sounded like you didn't have a job. Devastating, devastating both times. I, you got to walk me through now that they're my daughter's fourteen. Yeah, and that it was all easy until right around now. Really. Yeah, because she's going to ninth grade. Like, I know yeah. what's waiting. Right, right. The key for me is just a lot of, I get most of my info on the car rides. Very important. Because you're also Don't a, say you're anything. a sports parent. Yeah. Don't say anything, just drive. You drive and eventually they're going to start spilling stuff. That's correct. And you can break them down, especially we just had this tournament where it was like the drives were two hours each way. Oh, yeah. And I was like, oh, there. my God. I'll feed her. She'll get a little groggy. Then I'll be able to find out everything that's going on. Although I will say with our younger son, and both boys uh, were athletes, are athletes. But 
uh, with our younger son, he would go absolutely ballistic when they lost a game. And then it was like, it was a, it was a negotiation between me and my husband. If we happened to be there in two cars, who was going to take this oh, the, to, to hear the tirade home. on the way home? Oh, the screaming. Well, there was nothing we could say. If we said, hey, you played well or better luck next time, or it didn't matter what we said, you don't have any idea. He would go absolutely bullshit. What was the sports parent um, <laughs> experience for you when they actually made the dance? And now they're like showing you on TV and all that. And there's this whole protocol for how the parents are supposed to behave. You don't want to, you don't want to sound, look like a lunatic in the yeah, stands I, I and be on Twitter and being, stuff. Being famous under those circumstances was a bit of a drag because I had to be aware of, you know, I was very, I, I'm a very anxious sports parent on the side. I mean, I yeah. try not to let that out, but in fact I am. And I don't even like to sit next to my husband because. What's he like? I think we both get anxious and he just makes me more anxious and I can't I can't hear anything that he says it drives me nuts. And 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 this is a <laughs> reflection uh, reflection yeah. on me not him. I mean he's perfectly Cuz he's doing like running commentary stuff? Not necessarily. It just doesn't matter what he says. I can't hear it. <laughs> God love him. <laughs> anyway, so I get anxious. So, you know, but I'm aware that there's a camera there. <laughs> So it's like, it's not like when I'm at their high school games, you know, I can just be myself. So all of a sudden I have to be, you know, I had to wear makeup, you know, I have to put makeup on and try to look reasonable. Ugh. Anyway, but it was divine. We loved every second of it. It was really fun. And I remember uh, I was at uh, South by Southwest when I heard they made it into the tournament. It was super exciting. And uh, yeah, made it to round two. It was nice. I noticed during Wimbledon, Coco, the 15-year-old prodigy who yeah. won a few rounds and her parents were there. Yeah. And now that I can, not that it's happened, but I can envision myself in situations where you're the parent in the box or the parent in the stands. Yes. Calmness is the key. Yes, you have to remain calm. The, even the, the, There's some line you just can't cross. That's right. And yeah. I've found that way when I'm on the sidelines watching watching my kids is initially I was like too into it, but there's, there's gotta be this serenity. What do you mean into it? Were you screaming? There there might've been a screaming face. Yeah. Right. Oh, but not, not at the kids, but just like just getting into it and yelling at the refs and doing all that. Everyone has that one. And then you kind of realize, Oh, I shouldn't, shouldn't act this way. This isn't great. I, I didn't, I don't think I behaved badly, but I just was got very into it. So even if I look calm, I was dying on the inside. Can we go back to the 80s? I'd rather not. Come on, please. <laughs> sure. So I'm a, I'm an SNL baby. Okay, what does that mean exactly? That means I don't, I don't remember life without SNL. I was like probably six when the show started. Okay. And So how old are you, if you don't mind I'm my asking? I'm 49. Okay. Um, so in the early 80s, I'm an only child and Eddie was my guy and the SNL was super important. Oh. And then you showed up, all these new people showed up. I was like, hey, new people. Um, but you you were on the same show with Eddie for like two years there. Yes. And he was actually like a real life superstar who superstar. just happened to be on the show. Correct. But you were there when it like went, it would ascend to a whole other level. His stardom? Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. He was in his own universe. Like he hosted the show with Nick Nolte. Were you there for that year when Nick yeah, Nolte I think so. called in sick or something last second and then Eddie's <laughs> I in there? I can't remember, but it sounds familiar. <laughs> it's a long time ago. 
<laughs> yeah. But how you were like 21 at that point? Yeah, I was. I was and really then you're young. thrown into the show that still really mattered. And then Eddie's on it and he's like a phenomenon. Yeah, Eddie's a phenomenon. The show itself wasn't that good. But no. Eddie was great. It had its moments, though. It had its moments, but it wasn't like what it had been. And it certainly, I, I don't mean, I'm, I'm, I don't mean, I'm not dissing Eddie in any way. He was fantastic, but, you know, and then it went on to get super good, but uh, later, but um, yeah, I came, I was also sort of an SNL baby in the sense that when it first came on the air in whatever, what was that? 75? 75, yeah. Okay. So I was in high school or junior high or whatever. And so you can imagine, I mean, I was just out of my mind. I felt like these people were my people, you know? And there's nothing like it on television. It was so irreverent. Yeah. Um, there's quite literally nothing like it. And so um, then to get cast on it. Was, was that a dream? Like someday dream. I'm going to be on that show? Because in college you were doing like improv, all that stuff. Yeah, I was doing improv, but I mean, I was doing plays. You know, I was in the, I went to Northwestern and I was a in the, the theater school there. So I was sort of an, uh, sort of, I was an actress. And then, uh, and then I was doing, uh, I was worked in Chicago, you know, uh, with uh, Second City, but uh, primarily the big, the big, uh, huge part of my life was a practical theater company. And it was with that, we were doing a show with practical theater company. And that's when the SNL producers came and they hired us all right there. Yeah. They took all of you. All of us. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, I want to say it was the first show. Oh, it was, God. I think your husband was in it. And who's the other guy, Gary Kroger? Correct. Who was on? And it was a sketch about, and it ended up with milk coming out of somebody's nose. <laughs> and it was when I was like 12 or 13, like the every, height of comedy. I was oh, like, this, must is, have been. this is all I've ever wanted from television <laughs> right here. It's milk coming out of somebody's nose. Well, I'm this glad is, we could provide peaked. entertainment for your 12-year-old self. Yeah, so then the rest of the 80s, like you'd been on the show and it's like, what's going to happen with her? Yeah, and, and then there was and nothing a couple happened shows. for a long while. And you then, had the the Family Ties guy. That yes, was like a big right. show. Well, you know, because he was he he was a thing at the time. Yes, Gary Goldberg. My God, but that show huge. never made it though. Well, we did two seasons. Yeah, so that's something. I did actually. I the first real proper job I got for the because uh, I came out here. I did SNL for three years, and then I wasn't getting any work in New York. And so I went to, I thought, okay, I've got to go to LA, and uh, which I did sort of begrudgingly because I really didn't like it here. And um, Why didn't you like it here? Well, I, you grew up on the East Coast, right? Yeah. It, it was just so completely unfamiliar. It, it, it didn't have any reference points for me as a city. Yeah. The way everything does on the East Coast, sort of. Architecturally, it's kind of a shit show and it's sprawling. It was also a lot different back then. In the, I feel like LA has more of a shape probably than it did 25, yeah, 30 years Yeah, that may ago. be the case. It's Perhaps LA is a little groovier than it was when I came. But I don't know. Anyway, the I The ride sharing it. helps. The what? The ride sharing helps the, oh, this generation. Sure. You're, if you're there 30 years ago, it's like, how do you get anywhere... I don't remember. I think I rented a car. Ugh. Right. And I was living in the fucking Barham apartment, uh, uh, Oakland oh apartments God. on Barham. The, oh, the like where they would put, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. That's kind of sad. Oh, yeah. It was. Were but, you married at that point, though? Uh, no, I was not. Uh-uh. 
But I was looking, anyway, I was, came out here looking for work and I got cast in this pilot, which was a spinoff of Family Ties with Scott Valentine. Nick, Nick had a moment. There you go. Look at you. No, you're, you're in good hands right now. You're not, you're you know not throwing what? anything at me that I'm not going to be ready for. That is, uh, first of all, impressive. Nick and was second, a thing. Nick was huge. Nick was like, Nick and Mallory were a real, a couple that I rooted for in the mid eighties. I did too. Yeah. Anyway, so we did that pilot. It didn't go anywhere. Didn't get picked up. But it was out of that that I got cast in uh, Day by Day, which is the Gary Goldberg show. I did that for two years, and I actually had a great time doing it. And Andy Borowitz ran that show. Really? Yes. So what did you learn from that show that you took to the next show? Anything? Um, what did I learn? Well, I had fun, and it felt good. And I hadn't been having fun up until then. Right. Yeah, it doesn't seem like you liked SNL that much. No, I didn't. I mean, I, I made, I certainly made friendships there. Yeah. And I learned an enormous amount. Um, I mean, the learning curve was big. Um, but I didn't, it was, it was a sort of a cruel, the, the culture was pretty cruel and, and misogynistic and druggy and stuff. And it well, was- Well, that was, I mean, it was the 80s. That was, that was like the height of the cocaine era, right? Yeah, the 82 right. to 85? Yeah, that's right. Coke, everything. Actually, I don't even know what I mean. I don't know what else they were doing, but whatever. They were doing drugs, a lot of drugs. <laughs> and, uh, but it was, anyway, I just didn't have a great time. And I was incredibly unprepared going to be, uh, to be on the show. I was really unprepared. Yeah, I was going to, you were the, I think you were the youngest female cast member. Yes. Probably ever, right? Yes. I don't even know if they've had anyone I don't know younger if since. Ha- I don't know. I may, Possibly not. Because the other thing is you have Eddie that f- first couple years, but then that last year, then that's when they got all the all-stars and all the sort of like Martin Short, Billy Crystal. Like those guys were like finished products those, at that point. Totally. They were like practically senior citizens. Yeah. So anyway, the, and they were great. And I mean, you know, I, 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 I had made friendships with Mary Gross and Tim Kazarinski and Larry David, by the yeah, way. Yeah. But um, it, it was fundamentally not a, a good time. So having fun in a job, you know, where like writers would write for you and you would get jokes that you could sort of score with. That was like, oh my God, it was amazing. So that's what it was like doing day by day. I love that, you know? I was, um, I know everyone says this to you, but this is actually really true. Because I, I, I love Seinfeld because he was one of the best Letterman guests. Uh-huh. And yeah. Letterman had like his... Seven guys. Letterman was my favorite show. But he yes. had like the seven guys that were really regulars, like Leno, Seinfeld, it was George Miller. That's right. And, you know, Seinfeld would just go on and kill. Yeah. So I actually saw him twice, just once in Stanford and one in Boston. And it was always like rooting for him. It was like this guy. So when, when he got a show or the pilot or whatever, it was like, they gave him a show? Like- I just couldn't believe it. Yeah. And then, so I was in from the ground floor, but you weren't on the first one and then you showed up. I think the first season though, ends with like you guys enough together and then it's like never addressed again. Is that the first season? Or the first full, like the, the, the 13 first, episode season, like the yeah, first the extended deal, season. the deal episode. Yeah. Yeah. That's and it right. ends with, it's like, oh, they're going to end up together. And then it's like, they pretended it never happened from that point on. Correct. Yeah. Why did they pretend it never happened? Or did they expect like, I wasn't supposed to remember you ended up together? Uh, you know, I think the whole idea of turning, I, I, I think it was a big actual creative f- fight between 
I remember vividly, Larry and the powers that be at Castle Rock at the time, yeah. over how to handle that particular episode and that particular scene. That that episode is incredible. It's one of my favorite episodes. It is? Yeah, I really like that episode. I just, everything, the beats of it, how it ends, it's just like really well constructed. Uh, the, 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 the negotiation between them on the couch uh, was, was there was a lot of, of uh, arguing about that. I remember how that vividly. would go, yeah. how that would go, how to play it. And um, cause Larry was absolutely adamant that that was not meant to be a romantic scene in any way. Yeah. Right. But we were, when we were doing it in the rehearsal, we were actually playing it somewhat romantically and he went nuts and the and the castle rock went nuts cuz they wanted it that way cuz yeah. they wanted sort of like a will they won't they i mean i think you know sort of more sort of standard well, that was the moonlighting era where will they Correct. won't they was the that's was the right. move was that the move and by the way that's been a trope for cheers yeah hundreds of years yeah. shall we just say so and I remember actually very vividly going home and telling my husband Brad about this. And I sort of tried to explain how Larry wanted me to do it, but I wasn't quite understanding what Lair meant. And then Brad sort of said, oh, no, 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 I get it. And he was explaining to me what Larry meant and he was right. And so I went back the next day and was able to sort of do it correctly in rehearsal and and, and 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 Castle Rock was not thrilled uh, with I, I I mean I don't know if they'd cop to that now but they were not thrilled the various producers from the studio but who cares when did you stop worrying the show was going to get canceled uh, I guess after season three I guess that's also my answer because uh-huh. I remember like Cheers was ending at some point one of those years. And at some point, somebody wrote a story about how NBC was thinking Seinfeld could be the next Cheers for them. Right. And I was like, oh, so they're not going to cancel it. I was worried the whole time. Well, yeah. and everyone I think always it, canceled my favorite shows. Well, so I was also, just assuming we were being we getting beaten all the time by Jake and the Fat Man. Oh, uh, well, I mean, Jake was a beast at the time. Beast. So killing us. Content machine, Jake and the Fat Man. Mm-hmm. And also, I don't remember what the premise of that was. I either do I. I don't think I watch it. And Home Improvement was on during this at some point. I I can't remember, but anyway, whatever. So it was then. I I, when we made the first four, they made the pilot. I wasn't in it. Then they made the four episodes, and we made those. And I thought, well, this is so not like anything on television, and it is so good. I'm thinking to myself, yeah, it will never see the light of day. I was utterly convinced. I really was. They're too stupid to pick this thing up. That's how I, I just assumed that's how it was going to play out. Right. I was still traumatized when they canceled It's Your Move with Jason Bateman after one season. (laughs) After that happened, I was like, I'm not trusting these people ever again. Which (laughs) shows I like. Yeah, that's good. That show should have been on five years. Okay. Well, I never saw it, but I like Jason Bateman. He was, (laughs) the whole plot of the show was, he was, his single mom and the He's neighbor, a single mom? No, he was his, he had a single mom. Uh-huh. Oh, and the neighbor liked him. Yeah, he's like a kid. He's like 13. Oh my God. And the neighbor liked the mom and all he did was like fuck with the neighbor and that was the entire show. That's a great premise. It was great. I was child divorced, so I was like, this is great. Yeah. I hope this gets renewed for nine seasons. 
Um, Did you ever see that show, The Courtship of Eddie's Father? It was a little before my time, but That's I remember right. the reruns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People, what was the premise of that one? It was a dad and a son. I don't know if they used the word divorce or not. People, let me tell you about my best <laughs> right, Yeah, friend. it was great. Bill remember Bixby. That? Yeah. yeah. That's who the dad was. Yeah, there's not enough divorce content. I know. Because Kramer versus Kramer, we... We're going to do a rewatchables podcast on yes. Kramer versus Kramer. Yeah. With me and three other ringer people whose parents are divorced. And it's just going to be like a divorce therapy session about the movie. Well, my parents are divorced. So I'd like to be in on it. You want to be in on we'll get, We'll get you in. We'll get you a fifth seat. I'm not fucking kidding. <laughs> it's the best divorce movie of all time. It's I mean, not I bad. can give you my power rankings, but that's, that's number one. The squid and the whale is way up there. The jerking the, off into the book. Yeah, I, I wish that without. wasn't in there. That was Noah Baumbach was feeling himself. <laughs> you Have you been in a divorce movie? Uh, well, it wasn't really about divorce, but I played divorce. I've actually played a divorced woman a number of times. I did a series about a woman divorce with No, a but child. I mean like a movie where like divorce well, is the theme of the movie. No, I, I, no. <clears throat> I did a movie <coughs> called Enough Said, the mother's divorce, but really the, the, the part... The, the movie was about a kid going to college and starting a relationship with uh, James Gandolfini. So that's oh, yeah, what yeah, that yeah. was That was about. his last movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was. What was he like? Very surprising to meet. Very, uh, 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 lacking a lot of confidence, which is surprising. Really? Given his incredible talent. Yeah. Even at that point, like Sopranos yes. is done at that point. Well, but remember, in the, in this particular movie, he was playing a different kind of role, and uh, he was very, very questioning as to whether or not he he kept thinking you can. He kept making jokes about you can fire me if you want. You can. anyway, mm. but he was a lovely guy. Loved him. We're taking a break to talk about Simply Safe. Did you know, on average, it takes police forty five minutes to respond to a home security alarm? That's almost an hour. When a home security system is triggered, the police often assume it's a false alarm and the call goes to the bottom of the list. Not with Simply Safe Home Security. Simply Safe has video verification technology that helps police get on the scene up to 3.5 times faster, making their average police response just seven minutes. That's just one reason why Simply Safe Home Security is so different. Simply Safe also protects every door, window, and room with 24-7 professional monitoring. Starting at just $15 a month. Their prices are always fair and honest. No contract hidden fees are fine print. It's won a ton of awards from CNET to the New York Times Wirecutter. Visit simplysafe.com slash BS. You'll get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. You've got nothing to lose. Go now. Be sure you go to simplysafe.com slash BS so they know our show sent you. That is Simply Safe with two eyes. Simplysafe.com slash BS. Back to the queen. Wait, I have to go backwards to yeah, go Elaine. Ahead. Okay. Because I don't, you probably know this. This is going to be awkward for your son. Elaine was like everybody's dream girl in the 90s. That is so depressing. I know. It really was. We, it is. We all wanted like our Elaine. Yeah. And not even like somebody that we date, just somebody like that in, right. in our life. Right. You know, like, oh man, it'd be cool to have somebody like that. I could talk to them about stuff. Right, Who right. Who knows? We might like each other. It might not work out. Yeah, right. It was kind of like the, the dream late 80s, early 90s relationship. 
Yeah, make out once, and yeah, maybe nothing happened. Then you just right. You settle into a friendship, but I can still. But maybe it might yeah. happen again at some. I point. I think she became the defining character for that. Yeah. I think that's how guys saw that character. Uh huh. She was sort of one of the guys, I think, to a certain extent. But but, but also like the the friend, the confident um, friend who would tell you the things you needed to hear. Right. You know, like if you had a like. Sister is a bad way to put it, but like if you had an older sister and you, like I noticed it with my kids and my son's wearing something my and my daughter would be like, take that off. What are you doing? Like, <laughs> like the, the, her ability to give shit to the other characters, yes. that wasn't really something that was on TV that much. No, that wasn't. It no, was it usually was like definitely... the sarcastic little sister and what's happening or family ties or something. That was really the only yeah time you saw that. Yeah. Sort of a, a sort of harpy type as opposed to. What you're describing. I yeah. get it. I totally get it. All right, you get it. get it. You still don't like it, though. You didn't know where well, I was going no, on that I, one. I, you know, I'm pulling so I can sit back. Um, uh, no, I'm just thinking about the <laughs> the look, you know, her look. That was a, that, you know, just looking back at that, that's like, oh, Jesus. But anyway, that's Like all. the clothes and stuff or the, the hair? Clothes, the big hair, the whole, all That was it. with the, that was early I 90s. I know, that was the look. That was look. I don't like looking back at. Do you find that like if you? Look, I wasn't on Seinfeld. No, no, I'd no. I probably no. watch a no, lot no, of them. No, 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 no. I mean, like if you're looking back at in a photo album, you see photos of yourself. Oh, from they're the horrible. 90s. Yeah. Well, so you see my point. The '80s were even worse. The late '80s. Oh my late god. Late '80s were kind of the nadir, and then early '90s got a little better, but not really. '70s has sort of turned around. Yeah, and it's become come back. Cool again. It's but come there back. was a period of time where I looked back on the '70s and thought, "Holy fuck, what is that?" What are, what are those barrettes? <laughs> so when you're flipping, I mean, it's still always on. When you're flipping channels, do you see yourself? And you're like, oh, no, that outfit. Uh, yeah, I don't watch that stuff very much. But it's still funny, but I don't, wa- I don't watch it too much. I mean, when the kids started, uh, Henry specifically, when he started to watch it, and then and, and he would say, hey, Mom, I'm watching this one. And I then he has to remind me what happened because I don't really remember. But it, yeah. and, uh, and so then maybe I watch it with them or something, but not very much. It's weird. The streaming thing has given a new life to like all of these shows that were dead and buried. Mm. You know, Seinfeld, Friends, even more current shows like The Office. Mm. And I watch it with like my daughter's generation and they're just going through all these old shows and you can binge them in a way that, I guess maybe 10, 12 years ago, you had DVDs where right. you could just buy all the DVDs or rent them or whatever. But yeah, I have a lot now of Now it's DVDs. easy to plow through them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, what do we do with our DVDs now? I'm not sure exactly. I've been maybe thinking throw about throwing mine out. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that might be the move. Right. CDs, same thing. I know. it's That's a hard move to make. It's a tough one. It's a tough emotionally. You, um, yeah, and also you're, there is a little thought in your mind, which is, am I going to regret this in 25 years? Are these things coming back? Well, like records, for Christ's sake. Right. So I had had Larry David on the podcast when I was at ESPN, so probably like six years ago. Yeah. And we did a whole thing about the finale, and he talked about how he felt about it. I guess he had never really talked about it that much in an interview. Oh, God. And it became like a two-day news story. You're kidding. (laughs) Yeah. Because he what was did kind he of say, I didn't uh, forgive me. I don't know. What did he say? He was kind of he felt like it was underrated, and he felt like people didn't get it, hmm. and he felt like it should have had a better legacy. But I, he was funny he, about it in the way that he course. would be funny about it. I think. 
think it was, I think I personally, first of all, I oh, I haven't watched it that much, but the doing of it, I loved doing it. Yeah. And I understand why people maybe had an issue with it, but you know what? You can't, I mean, think of all the people that watch that thing. You know, fuck it. You're not going to appeal to everybody. And nobody wanted to see the show go off the air anyway. So, um, but I just remember, I look back at that particular episode so fondly because when we were sitting in that courtroom, it was like we were watching our show. Yeah. So all of these guest stars came parading through and doing their bits. And it was all we can do to keep our shit together. We were just howling, laughing. Nobody was a bigger fan of the show than we were. Yeah. In it. Yeah, the, season, the series finales in general, it's just really hard to win. If Unless there's a natural ending where the, you know the person's going to die at the end. Uh-huh. Like we just had then- this with Game of Thrones. Like... There was no way Game of Thrones was going to end that people were going to be 100% happy with it. Yours, it seemed like people, for Veep, it seemed like it was about as positive as it's going to be. Yeah. But even then, people are just mad that the show's over, you know, and it's never going to live up to what they had in their head. Yeah. I think we did did our finale well, actually. The Veep finale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that came off pretty well. Because you was like you say, you know, you you say, well, unless somebody's going to die, you're waiting for them to die or something like that. But- then you know what's going to happen. And what I like particularly about our finale was that it sort of it um, everybody's sort of character arc within the show was sort of re- resolved on Veep terms. Right. And also you didn't see it coming. Did you think that was going to be a whole decade of your life? I hoped it would be. So you thought signing up, you're like, this might be my 2010s. Well, Yeah. I, I mean, I hoped. I was really excited making it. When I made the pilot, I, I had a pretty strong feeling. I was going to say, you probably have a good shit detector at that point. Yes, I do. And That's you were ready? That's why this interview is ending in the next two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> was it weird when the showrunner left and the other showrunner came in? Because I, I always think that's a hard one to pull off. Yeah, tricky. Really hard. So what happened? Walk me through it. Well, um, let's see. Armando Inucci, who's the genius creator and original executive producer of Veep, um, left after season four. He really wasn't there much for season four, in fact, but he left, officially left after season four. Now, he's uh, British, and you probably know that in Britain, people don't do years and years and years of television. That's not the culture of making entertainment. Right. So he was, he'd had it. It was enough already. And, which I totally get. And, uh, but I didn't want to end the show. And so. That was it. That was it. And so, so, and, but he understood that. It wasn't like there, there wasn't any uh, friction about that. He, he understood that. It's just that he couldn't do it anymore. Also, his family was in the UK. It's a very, making that show is very labor intensive. I'm telling you, uh, it was, it's the hardest uh, job I've, I've actually ever had. And so, um, and we shot the thing up until that point. We were shooting in Baltimore, Maryland. So he was, you know, flying back and forth from the UK. And, you know, it was hard. And all the writers were were British, too. Anyway, uh, but I didn't want to end it because I loved it. 
and I wanted to keep going. I thought we had more story to tell. You're so, right. Uh, yeah. So then it was just a question of finding who is going to run this thing. And, and I say just as if it's like, you know, low hanging fruit, this guy, that girl, whatever, you know, but it, it ain't. And, uh, and, uh, fortunately for us, Dave Mandel was available and Dave Mandel, uh, and I had worked together, of course, on Seinfeld, um, and also on Curb Your Enthusiasm. Um, and, uh, and so we met and talked in great, at great length about where he thought the show could go. And we were definitely on the same page. And by the way, he was a huge, up until that point, he was a huge fan of the show and he was a big government major at Harvard. So oh, wow. he's politically very astute. So he was sort of right for the gig, but I, it was, uh, talk about divorce. Not that it was, it was not, um, uh, uh, uh negative in that sense, except that it was because I had to maneuver my whole cast about which I felt them, I felt very protective and the show we'd made thus far and move it into this new universe with this, you know, new guy running it and all new writers with the exception of three that we brought with us from the UK. And we moved the show to California. So it was a big undertaking. It's a fucking miracle it worked out. I was going to, that's why I brought it up. It seems like that I, usually goes horribly. I, I, it was a big gamble. It could have tanked. It was a huge gamble. And it was- Because there's like four you, different ways that could have gone wrong. Oh, oh yeah. Many more ways it could have gone wrong. I'm telling you, I was shitting my pants the whole time. <laughs> I was. I was really scared. Well, I think that show also, when when real life gets starts getting super weird too, that also, that also helps from a narrative standpoint. What do you mean, Trump? Nah, just like, yeah, you- no, that made it harder. You think? Why? Well, because, let's see. Uh, Trump, we were doing, oh God, yeah, season six. And uh, we were about halfway or more through the season of season six. And he gets elected, right? Trump. Yeah. And then uh, we're getting ready for season seven. Uh, and then I got breast cancer, so we had to shut down. And so we had about 10 months there of uh, Trump, shall we say, feeling his oats and kind of putting the pedal to the metal. That's a very diplomatic way of putting it. Well, I'm trying to stay <laughs> reverent to the office only. And so um, his behavior, you know, and this show was about, you know, in front of the curtain and behind the curtain behavior in yeah. political culture. Well, now all of a sudden there is no curtain. This asshole's behaving like <laughs> uh, the orange turd that he is. And, and, and by the way, his behavior, well, for example, the pilot episode of Veep, Selena Meyer gets in huge trouble for saying at a public event that she was hoisted by her own retard. And that was the scandal. Can you imagine? That is a non-story today. Yeah, it's yeah. It's a non-story. It doesn't even go on my Apple News feed. Correct. That's right. And so, so things really morphed. Um, and so we, so uh, <laughs> Dave Mandel likes to joke that he gave me cancer, so that gave him time to figure out how to 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 <laughs> morph the show into. Um, into what we did in the final season. 
which was decidedly, I think, different tonally, but in a good way than what it was originally. You know, I mean, all television shows morph over time. I mean, that's just the the nature of a, anything that has any life to it. You know, do you do you follow? Or do you care about like where stuff's going just from, you know, what we grew up with was the 22 episode season and then cable kind of shifted that. And now 13 yeah. episode season, some comedies now are eight episodes. Then you see a show like Fleabag where it's like a six episode, yes, 25 minutes per episode. It's almost like a, like a six part movie yeah. that's two and a half hours and, and you're done and yeah. it almost leaves you wanting more. Yeah. And I wonder if that's like where we might be headed, at least with some of the creative ideas we have. We are, we are headed there. We're That's there. That's good for you, though. It's great for me. Could be I love for your it. next project. Totally. One episode and you're out. Yeah. Or you do, you're filming six 25-minute ones, you're done. Yeah, completely. Just just enough to get, like, the giant, that, that HBO, that 14-story, you know, on Sunset. Yes, of course I That's, do. Yeah. Just enough, you, you, just just enough to, to get, get on that your, building. Your puss up there. Right? Yeah. Are yeah. you thinking about next projects? I am. Why do you have anything? I'll do it. That, that sports mom angle is pretty good. Sports mom? The, the whole, the sports parent thing. The, yeah. di- I like divorce. Uh-huh. Um, you like divorce? Big Little Lies season three would be fun. No? Well, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just throwing out ideas. You put me on the spot. I did. But I'm, it's interesting that you are pitching me Big Little Lies because I don't think you work on that show. No, I was just, just trying to think of something that would be easy for you. <laughs> easy. I was trying to think six episodes and out. Your kids oh, are back I in see. L.A. now. Yeah, right. You don't, you don't do like 100 episodes. No, God, no. I can't bear yeah, that idea. I'm, I'm no, looking no. out for you. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. I'm, 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 uh, I'm actually in uh, post-production on a movie that I made right after Veep ended. So I'm working on that. And then I don't know what my next move is going to be. I'm thinking about what that is. I'm, I, I mean, I definitely want to keep working, and I, and I love the pace of working in television. Do you have the Emmy record yet? <sighs> Your son will know this. Does she have the Emmy record yet? I think so. Is it tied or she has it alone? Tied. I think you're tied, yeah. right? Wins and nominations. I don't know. Like, you might have the I don't know about nominations. I'm tied with Cloris Leachman. Oh, we got to take her out. How many? She has eight? Yeah. Yeah, you got you to you pass Cloris. We'll see. We love Cloris Leachman. She's great. What did she get for Mary Tyler Moore? Yeah. She was amazing in Mary Tyler Moore. Did you, you watch that show? That was, was too so, girly for you. No, it was, it was like two years too early for me. My okay. generation was like... Jefferson's Good Times, that whole era. That's when I was Did really- Did you watch the live reboot? Oh, yeah. That Wasn't was Jimmy's that... idea. I know. Yeah. Wasn't it fabulous? Yeah. It was, I, he Wasn't was... Wanda good? Yeah, he was telling me about it. And I'm like, you do the thing when your friend's telling you something like, yeah, that'll be cool. And I'm thinking like, he's not gonna be able to do that. And it was great. Wanda was good. Yeah. I loved every second of it. It was really interesting to watch it in the context of- <laughs> Some of the stuff they're talking about in 1973 totally. is weirdly relevant in 2018. You're yeah. gonna be in the next one. I bet he, bet he'd yeah. be delighted to be, have you. I could be Maud. Maud's a good one. Maud. So that was like two years before my time too. But that was like the first kind of show like that. Yeah, ballsy lady. Yeah, ballsy lady. Mm-hmm. They weren't. They didn't weren't doing that at the mm-hmm. time. No. So you definitely want to keep working. 
Totally. All right. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. Oh yeah, I definitely do. I just don't know. I'm 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 fairly fried from doing Veep because yeah. it really was. I'm not kidding you. A lot, uh, really, qu- quite a lot of work to to get that right. But um, and and finding just the right thing is obviously <laughs> not an easy task. You know? And you're and you're totally healthy, hundred percent. Yeah. Touch wood. Yeah. Congrats. Thank you. Let's take one more break. Hey. Labor Day weekend is coming up. Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. You get in a crash. People get hurt or killed. But here are some surprising statistics. Almost 29 people in the U.S. die every day in alcohol-impaired vehicle crashes. That's one person every 50 minutes. Even though drunk driving fatalities have fallen by a third in the last three decades, drunk driving crashes still claim more than 10,000 lives each year. Drunk driving can have a big impact on your wallet, too. You get arrested and, and incur huge legal expenses. You could possibly even lose your job. So what can you do to prevent drunk driving, especially this weekend? Plan a safe ride home before you start drinking. Designate a sober driver or call a taxi or a ride share. If someone someone you know has been drinking, take their keys. Arrange for them to get a sober ride home. Don't screw up your life. Don't let somebody else screw up their life. We all know the consequences of driving drunk. One thing's for sure. You're wrong if you think it's no big deal. Drive sober or get pulled over. Back to the podcast. I want to ask you about Larry David because sure. I'm fascinated by him. Yeah. Do you think he's a genius? Yeah. When did you realize he was a genius? I think back in SNL days. <laughs> really? He- oh, yeah. I mean, he's crazy. I mean, he's crazy, crazy genius. But he was sort of like my friend who was a crazy genius, you know? So, yeah. And then it became quite apparent doing... Seinfeld, like almost immediately. Did, were you because supr- he was not. I, what I really loved about Larry is that he didn't give a shit. Yeah, and that is a great asset as a creative person, especially in 2018. I mean, and by the way, it can blow up in your face, you know. Especially in 2018. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but he really he was very, and he had a very specific point of view. Uh, and it was fantastic. So, yeah, that's, I don't know. Were you surprised that he was on television as the star of his own show? Like, did you have any idea that was his destiny? Well, I knew it was a stand-up. I right. never I never saw him do stand-up. Except there's some story. I think Jason Alexander was in the audience. Do you know this story? It was somebody, no. he wasn't getting laughs. So he started swearing at the audience. <laughs> it's true. Started, he completely lost his. He temper. berated he went, the audience. Berated, but I mean in a legit way. Berated. I think he might have called somebody a cunt or something. But oh, I, no. I swear. But I don't quote me on that. Oh, oh yeah, right. I'm being recorded. Yeah. But um, I, I, something I, in the neighborhood. Yeah, something in the neighborhood. Right. But anyway, he went nuts. He he had a he had a a, a temper, but a temper that was. Um, could also be somewhat appealing. Endearing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So when you're watching Curb, were you like, oh my God, this is a Larry. How did the, how is this happening? Or did you feel like he was No, it made sense. A, I mean it, it oh yeah, well, he's playing a version of himself. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, that's not what he's really like. Yeah, yeah. I think unfortunately a, for him, people think he's like that. Though. Of course they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, but he's he's not. Although that is sort of a hyped up version of himself. 
You know, it's what he wishes maybe in his fantasy that he could be. I feel like we need that show more than ever right now because we've hit it's this- coming back, man. I know, but we've, we've hit this incredibly uptight uh, time in our country, which I think the last season of Veep definitely helped too. But we need people on TV like pushing stuff and making fun of stuff. And mm. it's really like the last way to, to do some of this stuff. Yeah, to make a point even. So when do you think you're going to get rid of your younger son from your house? Like 2023? That'd be How nice. many years? Is, is there a time limit in your head as a parent? No, he can stay as long as he wants. I That's how care. I feel with my kids. Yeah. If they're back, they're back. It's great. Totally. I mean, Henry lived with us for, I don't know, how long were you living with us before you moved out? A while, right? A year. A year. What did we not cover, Henry? Uh, when you first got Oh. Oh, that's a good one. All right. Henry, Henry suggests this topic. Yeah. Um, so you get the Seinfeld scripts. Yes. Or any other script that you've liked. What What are you looking for? What, what is well, the what, thing that resonates all, actually, with you? actually, here's a story that's sort of a little bit interesting. So <clears throat> prior to getting the Seinfeld scripts, yeah. so I was, um, I actually had a development deal with Warner Brothers, which was a bi big deal. And yeah. uh, to develop my own series, this was off of the success of Day by Day. Success, I'm saying it in yeah, quotes. Yeah, it lasted. And so, but they, they offered me this deal. And so, and I was developing a script. And then, and uh, the script came in and I didn't, it was not me. It was not for me, okay? And I had an out in my contract that I could opt out if I wasn't happy with the material. And it wasn't, like I say, for me. So I did. And a couple of days later, I got, my agent called and said, hey, your friend, I don't know if they knew that we were friends, but Larry David wrote these scripts and can there are four of them and do you want to give them a read and they're interested in you for this? And so I was like, okay. So I read them. And frankly, I didn't, in two out of those four scripts, I had almost nothing to do. It was pretty small. Yeah. So I was like, hmm. But the other two, I had more to do. But more importantly, the material was like nothing that was on television. Yeah. You know, it wasn't set up, set up joke, set up, set up joke. There was a there was an actual rhythm pattern to the way sitcoms were presented back then. And sometimes they I mean, I'm not knocking all sitcoms, obviously. There were no, plenty was, of sitcoms at work, but it was definitely not like anything. Right. And so I thought, wow, this is super interesting. So I go in and I met Jer. Now, I wasn't a stand-up. I didn't know that universe. So I sort of sort of recognized him, but, you know, oh, maybe that guy was on The Tonight Show, you know, but whatever. But Lair, of course, I knew. And Jer and I read this script together, or scene, and it went super well. He was eating cereal. I mean, it felt like I was cereal. with it. For true. And it felt like I was just, like, with guys that were my friends. I mean, yeah. it didn't feel like... Um, uh, an audition with fancy people, executives and stuff like that. It was like, you know, uh, the, the nut jobs are running the asylum here. And so, uh, great. So anyway, made the deal over a weekend. They were quickly, they, they, they wanted to shoot these four episodes like the following week. So I remember my, they were, we were crafting this deal over the weekend and we, st we make the four episodes. And at some point in there, I get a call from my attorney saying that 
Warner Brothers uh, wants their money back. They're threatening to sue you because you went and made this other show. It's called Seinfeld Chronicles at yeah. that time. And I was like, but I didn't do anything wrong. And, and he said, well, yeah, but they really, they don't like the way that came down. Because it was, I mean, they were, one project was really butted up against the other. Right. But I had done nothing dishonest or illegal, nor would I, right? So I was like, well, so what should I do? And he said to me, well, I think you should just give them their money back. And I didn't like the feeling of that because that implication, of course, is that I did something untoward. And I was like, hmm, I don't know. So I called Gary David Goldberg to bring it full circle back to our conversation, who created Family Ties in Spin City. And I explained to him the situation. And he said to me, you know what? Keep the money. I don't respond to bullying. Tell them to go fuck themselves. Yeah. And but understand something. I was like a nobody. Okay. Yeah. This was Warner Brothers Studios. I was a nobody. And so I did that. And I never heard from them again. Wow, that's a good story. It's a good one, isn't it? Yeah. It was scary. It was a scary moment. And ironically, then I was at Warner Brothers uh years So later did you tell doing, the assistant to go fuck themselves or did you send a letter saying go fuck themselves? I don't know. I just told my attorney, <laughs> I'm then giving them back, go tell them fuck off. And we'll see what happens. And then you, I just kept my fingers crossed. You've talked about um, how that was like, uh, it was all male writing staff or mostly male writing staff? Yeah, with the exception of one woman and then two women. Which is just the way it happened. Oh, and, pardon me. Yeah. And Jen Crittenden, actually. Yeah. All right. So let's say this same show 20, you could take How We Do Things Now. How put we, it back in the, the way, mid-90s. how do we do things well, now? There's more diversity, I think, in the writer's room, at least like toward the end of this decade, right? Uh-huh, yeah. How is Elaine different if there's more women in the writer's room? Mm. That's a good question. You've never gotten that one before. No. Look, at I, I could tell you're impressed. Well, she probably would have had more material. Frankly. I mean, I will admit to you that certainly, early, and Larry and Jerry will back me up on this, I... And it's in the early days of Seinfeld, or for the first half of Seinfeld, I would go in periodically and beg them to put me in more of the show. And I'd usually end up crying because I couldn't help it. And really? Yeah, I did. It's Because it was initially a Seinfeld. It did feel like a Seinfeld and George vehicle. Correct. And then Kramer would come Elaine in and, and Kramer were kind of the second, side pieces. Yeah. Right. You're like in a, on an NBA team, you would just come in and get some threes off and then leave. There you go. See, I knew sports was coming up. Yeah. I try, I've been trying to shield you from the sports stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I can talk sports. Yeah. Sure. But so you, you wanted some plays called for you. I did. So did, was there a moment where that you got an episode that was like, this is what I'm talking about right here? Well, I thought it was pretty significant, the um, contest episode. Yeah. Because that could have easily been a show about three guys not masturbating. Yeah. But the fact that all of a sudden you're talking about a woman masturbating and it's whatever, 19... Yeah, 92 or 93. Yeah. That nobody... I mean, nowadays nobody cares, right? But then that was racy stuff. And I kept thinking, uh, they're going to shut this down. I don't mean cancel us, but they're going to tell us we cannot do this show. But they didn't. It's funny because that's an iconic episode now. And what's been lost is what that show is like in the moment of like, 
oh my God, they're doing this? I know. It really was like watching somebody jump off a 10-story 10, 10 building or something. Right. That stuff just wasn't on television. No, my God, are you kidding me? Nobody talked about it. <laughs> and we didn't even use the word masturbation no, there. No, that's why anything, I was smart. It's very smart, yeah. It was when you I was writing got for- got away e with it. Yeah, when I was writing for ESPN, especially the early years, they had all these media criticism rules and I would figure out all these ways around it of making fun of announcers without overtly making fun of them and uh -huh. do little tricks. Yes. And it was like that where you were able to do it basically because you never actually said it. It was all- right. Well, roundabout. You know, well, you know, that's how the, the I don't know which episode it is in, in which uh, somebody thinks that Jerry and, and George are gay, a gay couple. Yeah. The not that there's anything wrong with right. that. That was born out of a, a concern from the network. That we, So not that there's anything wrong with that was tagged, ooh, sorry, was tagged on to any time anybody referenced somebody as being gay or whatever, that that would be the phrase right afterwards. To oh, sort of, that was a network note? Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about the Curb Your Enthusiasm comeback season now for that for that show? Well, it was I'm like excited. 10 years later. I know. I'm excited to see it. I mean, no, I, I thought... No, I mean the uh, when the Seinfeld when you guys all came back on that show. Oh, pardon me, I thought you meant the next yeah. season for Larry. Oh, I loved it. I thought it was really cool. I thought it was fantastic. I loved it. It was so fun to do. It was so weird, so surreal. What was the response to it that know. you were getting? I don't know. I don't remember the response. Was it? I good? felt like people were happy with it. Yeah. Well, it was. So, what was so great about it was that it was like a Seinfeld reunion, but. But not really. On our terms. Yeah. And I loved that. Yeah. But it was so bizarre to uh, go back. I mean, it's always bizarre to go back. It was like when I went back to host SNL. That was so weird because I had all of this. I'd had the experience of being on it. And then I'd sort of grown up for, because I didn't, I hosted 2007. Yeah. Or six, maybe. Right. And, and I left the show in 85. So there's a lot, there's a big space of time. So going back, it was like going back to high school yeah. with all of your adult knowledge and perspective. And to a certain extent, the same was true of going back and doing, even though it wasn't as much time had passed, the same was true of doing the Seinfeld so-called reunion show within Curb. It was gobs of fun. Um, speed round. Funniest uh -oh. person you've ever been around. That I've ever actually been around? Yeah. Will Ferrell. Sorry it took me so long to get there, Will. It's a good answer, though. It is a good answer. Um, favorite Seinfeld episode ever? Um, pony Remark. Interesting. Wasn't expecting that one. Yeah. Um, give me the case for living in L.A. and the case for living in New York. Uh. Okay, so the case for living in New York is uh, if you're hyper wealthy <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you don't care about having any space, that's the place for you. Okay. Uh, the case for living in L.A. is if you really dig traffic, like a lot. So that to get anywhere, and I mean even to the market, is going to take you an hour and 12 minutes. Okay. And also, if you like uh, forest fires, then you should move to California. Okay. So 
Take your pick. So you're you're anti both. Why not? I'm trying to stay negative all day today. <laughs> uh, best, Are we still in the speed round? Yeah, best in best Obama interaction. Uh, oh, it, it, that either. I've had could with be him? either either Obama could be any Obama. Uh, I dance with Barack Obama. I swear to God, it's true. That's a good answer. Where'd you dance with him? Uh, at the White House. Was it like a? It was one the, of those dinner thingies. Yeah, it was actually. It was the. They had a blowout party before they left. Yeah, and I went to that, and uh, they were p- playing Brick House, and I danced with him. I know shit is right. It was a highlight. Did he give you the? Ah, I really like Veep. Give me that. Like sneak that one in or no? Uh, I don't know if he said it like that. I don't know. Well, I was, I was imagine him dancing and talking to you at the same time. Uh, he was making <laughs> jokes about me being Veep. Um, speed round. Part you're most jealous of that you would have loved to have had in an alternate universe. Uh, Helen Bonham Carter in Room with a View. Oh, that's such a good answer. That's a great one. Mm-hmm. I just watched that recently. I watch it every six or seven years. That's one of my most favorite movies of all time. Most surprising celebrity who mentioned to you that they liked one of your... One of the shows that you've been in. Supreme Court Justice Elena Kagan. Which show? Beep. I mean, it wasn't a specific thing. She just likes the show. Um, I'm surprised you're not reacting to that. Do you not find that amazing? I'm try- I was trying to think which one it was. <laughs> I was trying to, in my head She's to think. She's on the Supreme Court. No, I know. I was trying to think what she looked like. <laughs> She's one of the three women on the Supreme I know. Court. I was trying to get in my head which one. Well, it's not Ginsburg. That's a pretty good one. Yeah. <laughs> not Ginsburg. And it's not Sotomayor. Mayor. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one to end on. Any parent advice for me as my kids are about to hit high school or one of my kids? Yeah. Keep driving them everywhere. Keep them in the car. Keep them in the car with you. And... Keep all of the gatherings at your house. Oh, that's smart. It is smart. That's what you did? Right, Hen? Uh, yeah, it's a good idea. That you- way you get you can keep sort of tabs. You can see if there's any, uh, you know, bad eggs. And Oh, that's true. You're, you're doing a lot of silent judging. Yeah, scouting and, and judging. Also, and also, by the way, it makes it sound like you're... CIA or something, but the other you thing is, are, you, though. yeah, but then you get to know the kids, get to know your own kids even better. You know, it's not like you're in there with them talking, but right. you're, you know, sort of hovering around, seeing the scene. You're sizing them up. You're sizing them up. That's exactly right. I, I think that's a lot of fun. What's your drink, by the way? You go to somebody's house and they're like, can I get you a cocktail? Yeah. And you're like, oh, you actually can. I'll have this. What is it? That's not wine. It could be wine. I love wine. White wine? Both. Either, depending on the mood. Actually, all three. I also like rosé. I um, I love wine. Big decade for rosé. Uh, yeah, I know. It's a little much now. It's kind of cli- it's, almost it's, a little cliche. Now. It's a little too cliche. That's right. And I like tequila. Tequila? I do. You just got a grunt from Kyle. What Kyle, the hell, this is, man? He, he loves any liquor conversations. <laughs> I do. I love tequila. Uh, just on the rocks. Without okay. crap in it. All right. So I'm going to spend a lot of time thinking what your next project will be. And I know I know you value well, listen, my input. If you want to uh, 
I think you should do the flea bag route of the the six episode season. Well, that where you're is just for in certain. and out. That's you should tell tell your agent. That's my next thing. But that that's easy peasy. In and out. I understand that, but the real question is, what's the content? See, Bill, you've got to think about. I'm not. What I'm the, not there yet with the. You're with just the, thinking with about episodes. Yeah, I'm just thinking structure the first. The hook we'll get to character. Well, who haven't you played that you've wanted to play? You want who, to know who do you want to inhabit? Uh, there are a couple things I really would like to do. Yeah? I'd like to be in a m- movie musical. You've never been in a musical? No, not in, not on film. Can you sing? Yes. Oh, Couldn't you're la- you tell you- when I sang the Courtship of Eddie's father theme? I, did, was I still wasn't sure. It was so gorgeous. So you're like a, one of those celebrity sneaky singers. Correct. Because that Kate Hudson, they did that thing with the parents. Yeah. And Kate Hudson sang Shallow and she was amazing. It was like, really? you can do this? Yeah. Good on sneaky, her. Sneaky celebrity singer. Yeah. So that would be fun. And uh, So movie musical. Movie musical. Okay. like to do that. Oh, excuse me. I'd like to play a superhero or a supervillain. That would be fun. Either. Sure. But just, you know, do some fighting and shit like that, flying around. Oh, we do the thing where you got in like amazing shape and you worked with some karate dude for four hours. No, I mean like- Look at me. What are you talking about? Superhero fight shape. I'm I'm ready to kick your ass right now. (laughs) And I also, I mean, I'm, and I'm definitely going to look into doing some more dramatic work. I'd like to do that. I'm not saying I'm not going to do comedy, but you know that's that's something that would be really interesting. Okay, good. And, yeah, and you got to get one more Emmy. You just got to you know, set the mark. You want to be in the Wikipedia when people are looking up Emmy winners for some reason. You're just right there. Okay. Yeah, it's important. Well, it's all about trophies. It's all end. about trophies. It's all that's about it. it's a rings culture. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, it's I I think it would be cool to watch you do a whole bunch of quirky different. Like you in a musical would be, I'd be like, whoa, really? Yeah, I would love to do that. Yeah. I would love to do that. I mean, in fact, there, I heard about a project they're making, uh, they're putting a, a Little Shop of Horrors on film, but I'm not the right age. Such a bummer. Mm. Did you ever see that show? Yeah. That, I, I mean, that was a big early 80s, mid 80s. I know. Yeah. I they used to have it. the commercial all the time. That and Evita. They would always show That's the commercials right. for those too. Yeah. That's right. Evita. And Sunday in the Park, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, this is a pleasure. Thank you for doing this. Likewise. It was I'm really I'm sorry fun. I got so hot in here, but we had to turn the other air conditioner off. Why? Because it would pick up on the podcast. Oh, so sound... isn't that always the case? No. It, it sounds bad. We, try, we care about audio here. Um, All right. Thank you, though. Good luck. Thank you. Good luck with the sons in LA. <laughs> thank you. Good luck with keeping your kids at home. Thank you. I'll try. All right. Thanks so much to Julie Louis-Dreyfus. Thanks to Kyle Brandt. Thanks to Simply Safe. When a home security system is triggered, the police often assume it's a false alarm. Not with Simply Safe Home Security. They have video verification technology that helps police get on the scene up to 3.5 times faster, making their average police response time just seven minutes. 24-7 professional monitoring as well starts at just $15 a month. Visit simplysafe.com slash BS to get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. Simply Safe with two eyes, simplysafe.com slash BS. And thanks to the NHTSA. If you think drunk driving is no big deal, you couldn't be more wrong. You can get in a crash, people get hurt or killed, and you could get arrested, incur huge legal expenses, or even lose your job. Next time you plan on drinking, like this weekend, Labor Day, 
Make sure you plan ahead, designate a sober driver, or use a ride service to get home safely. Drive sober or get pulled over. Back for one more podcast this week with the Cuz. Doing AFC over-unders and then NFC over-unders on his podcast. Can't wait. See you then.